When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to all our listeners as well. Um, I don't think it's too late to say that. It's only the 3rd of January, is it today, Kieran? It, it is. Yes, yes. And, and I'm still, I'm wearing Christmas socks and Good. I'm wondering, is there a cut-off date in respect of wearing Christmas socks, you know, how far into January can I go? Well, no one tends to look at your socks, Kieran, so you can probably carry on. I wouldn't be wearing them on the beach in in uh, Monaco, for example. In, I don't even know if there is a beach in Monaco in, in July. Um, you can. St- it's only the ninth day of Christmas, Kieran. Kieran, Christmas is still going on. So I note with some alarm that you tweeted that you've taken your Christmas tea down already, Kieran. Well, I, I do what I'm told. Oh, I, you know, oh if, well. And if the Baroness says... Take the Christmas tree down, but I did discover two coins which had Ooh. not been snaffled by the grandchildren or Finley, um, and that was a that, that was a major win. It was it was certainly more exciting than West Ham versus uh, Brighton on yeah, well, uh, they, on Tuesday night. They say money goes to money, Kieran. So even chocolate money goes to <laughs> chocolate money. Yeah, that was a, geez, that was a dreadful game. Luckily, Ed and I resorted to watching slow horses instead, which was. Much, much better. That was an awful, it really was. It's twice over the holiday period, Ed and I said, we'll sit down and watch a game of football. First one was Liverpool-Man United. Well, that's not going to be, that's, 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 that's just the worst game we're going to see for months. And then West Ham, Brighton last night. <laughs> just Yes, and talking of Christmas, Kieran, um, I, I, I take a couple of days off the old social media over Christmas, but I, I had to report to Ali because I, I get notifications from certain people. You've got a, your own ping that comes up on my phone. I keep saying, Ali, he's, he's, he's tweeting, Ali. He's tweeting on Christmas Day. And Ali's eyebrows are going up. So today, as I say, is the ninth day of Christmas, which I believe today is nine accountants amortising. And if, <laughs> if, if you carry on doing all the social media stuff you've been doing, tomorrow's going to be 10 Baronesses <laughs> grouching. So he's tw- yes. and, so, but we we blame Sir Jim Ratcliffe, Kieran, for your your dereliction of duties at Christmas because that was a big story over the Christmas period. The the Jim Ratcliffe finally completing his purchase of twenty five percent of Manchester United. Can we confirm what the figure was, Kieran, and, and do we know what happens next in terms of how the club is going to be run in future? Yes, I mean he has acquired twenty five percent of the. B shares, which are the shares which are owned by the Glazer family. And he's paying $33 a share for those. Now, that compares to a market price before the offer was announced of $19.84. So it's a quite significant premium. But in order to prevent lawsuits flying his way, and, and this was why the deal has been delayed and delayed and delayed, He's come up with some sort of fudge solution that he's going to offer to buy 25% of the other shares, the A shares, the one which only carry one vote each from people who own them on the New York Stock Exchange. I think there was a genuine fear um, at boardroom level at Old Trafford that there could be litigation if he was effectively given the the keys to the, the Glazers' benefits um, and, and other shareholders were going to lose out. So this deal 
Um, it was announced at, at four pm, and we, we now we're now sort of on the on the list of semi-approved people in the sense that you, I, I got an email to say this is the embargoed press release. Stand by your beds. Um, and, and I've been on standby on three or four occasions over the course of the last couple of months. You know, the TV companies were saying, we think the deal is going to go through today. Can you make sure you're at home and get ready to, to waffle on about it? Um, so it came through um, half an hour before it was formally announced. So that was 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve, which, um, as you, as you rightly pointed out, did, did not go down particularly well <laughs> at home. Um I planned, uh, I planned a, a romantic meal together. Um, I, I was um, also en route to uh, see my grandchildren, uh, and uh, I, I play the role of Father Christmas. Yeah, clearly, yeah, simply because the real Father Christmas delegates responsibility to to uh, appropriately uh, suitable people. Um, so yeah, there was the the strange scenario of me talking to Sam Matterface on Talksport whilst dressed as Santa Claus, um, <laughs> followed by <laughs> having to take. And, and, and I, I said to some of the TV companies, "Do you want me to change out of this?" We, we'd rather you did, yes, yeah. if you don't mind. Um, well, Kieran, uh, just imagine, just imagine the memes around the world. If Sco, <laughs> now, now we go to the North Pole. For the Santa's take <laughs> on the Manchester United deal, can, can I just point out next year, Kieran? I'm a far more likely reliable Father Christmas than you are. Just in general, just in the fact that I love the whole Christmas thing, and I can do the white beard if I just don't shave for a couple of days. So, so set, getting an accountant to step in as Father Christmas at short notes, seasonally adjusting the presents, so on and so forth. <laughs> so, uh, 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 just while we're talking about that, Kieran, why why Christmas Eve? Was there any significant? I mean, was this meant to be tucked away when people were not paying attention? Was that the point? No, no. They they had been trying to get the deal over the line for quite a long period of time, but the lawyers were wanting to dot i's and cross t's to such an extent that there would be as close to a zero chance of litigation coming from other shareholders you know one, one of the advantages of of being a company which is listed on the new york stock exchange is you get all of the benefits and the attention that that brings one of the downsides is that america is a very litigious country and uh they manchester united they that was the earliest and also the deal now has to be approved by the premier league in terms of passing the owners and directors test um, as well as buying the shares, which is all the focus on, there, there's an agreement that uh, Jim Ratcliffe's uh, uh, representatives will take over the, the running of the football side of the business. And if he passes the owners and directors test, um, he is committing to put in $300 million into the club. Now, if, if you, they manage to get that done before the end of January, that would allow Manchester United to potentially spend some more money as far as the transfer market is concerned. Because under the FFP rules, you're only allowed to lose £15 million over three years. We've seen Manchester United having to use the loan market um, in, in the last couple of windows, which isn't something you'd normally associate with them, simply because they're right up against it in, in terms of FFP. But if owners put money into the club, the first £90 million would count towards um, your FFP budget and therefore your, your ability to be more flexible in the transfer market. The New York Stock Exchange, um, it's closed on Christmas Day, but it actually opened on December the 26th. They don't have the equivalent of, of uh, Boxing Day or St. Stephen's Day for, for our Irish listeners. Um, and therefore, I think they just took the view, let's just get this done because it, it speeds up the process in terms of the ability of the club to go become under part of the the Ineos stroke uh, Jim Ratcliffe regime, he's he's bought it via a company based in the Isle of Man, which seems a, a strange thing to do. A company called Trawler Limited, uh, Isle of Man, not not noted for its uh, transparency, um, you know, and it it does make, does it make you feel slightly uneasy. That we've now got a 
company based in the Isle of Man owning 25% of Manchester United. Manchester United is registered in the Cayman Islands, another you know, part of the world uh, where the focus is on wealth management, shall we say, um, rather than transparency. And then it's traded in New York and you've got the other batch of shareholders based mainly in Florida and so on. Um, so the the reaction that I've seen from sort of you know, what you might describe as my hardcore Reds mates is they're brought, they're happier than they were, but I wouldn't describe them as being deliriously happy. The Glazers still have a majority stake. Um, where this is going to go going forwards, nobody knows. There are clauses in the contract, which means uh, Jim Ratcliffe can't say anything negative about the Glazers and vice versa. Um, if, the, for whatever reason, the deal doesn't get over the final line, you know, either due to rejection by the, the Premier League or the, the New York authorities object, um, then they have to go and pay substantial compensation to each other. Um, so simply to sort of to cover each other's legal and you know, financial advisory fees. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's... Uh, it's a funny one. It's I've never seen anything like this before, where you buy a quarter of the club and you get a hundred percent control over what's happening on the football side of things. And and what happens if there is a conflict? Yeah, what happens if the if the Glazers say, "Well, this is the budget." Yeah, it's up to you to choose how to spend it. It, it. It's never a good sign. It occurs to me, Kieran, that you have to have something in the contract that you both agree not to slug each other off. But uh, there are three questions, Kieran. First of all. You mentioned the the company in the Isle of Man, Trawler, I believe they're called. Yeah. Um, so my first question to you is: Is this a new company, a company that's been set up to buy twenty five percent of Man United? Secondly, can you remind us what the potential litigation would be from the the shareholders who may miss out, as you mentioned? And then thirdly, and you've just alluded to this, he he's taking over, or he or Ineos, whoever it is, are taking over the football side of the business, but for for someone like me, it's very hard to distinguish where the football side of the business and the business side of the business ends. So, for example, broadcasting deals, overseas sponsorship, their undertaken partner in Nigeria and so on. So perhaps you could run through those in order, Kieran. So so Trawler, first of all, this this company... So yeah, Trawler is, is is a bespoke company which has been set up in the Isle of Man to facilitate this deal. Okay, right. Um, it, it looks as if it's going to be owned by Jim Ratcliffe rather than Ineos. Um, so it's going to be his wealth rather than that of his his successful company. Um, and why that name? I don't know. I don't. Yeah, it's often when you if, it, if it's an off the shelf company, it just happens to be the the next one in the line, or the, there could be some form of in joke that no, nobody's quite realised what the gag is yet. Um, in terms of litigation, in terms of litigation, directors of companies have a responsibility to act in the best interests of shareholders. So if the Manchester United board had approved of an earlier offer from Sir Jim Ratcliffe, in which he was just buying shares from the Glazer family, and he was just buying the B shares, and Manchester United's also changed its constitution because historically, if the Glazers sold shares, they automatically became the A shares and they stopped having 10 votes each and they only had one vote each. So they changed the constitution to allow um, the, the transference of B shares and keeping those voting rights. And you could see some of the other shareholders who bought shares in Manchester United in good faith saying, well, hold on, how come he's getting these benefits and we haven't? We don't think the Manchester United board is acting in the best interests of all of the shareholders as a result of this deal. It's only acting in the best interests of the Glazer family. And therefore, we feel that we have a legitimate complaint and we will therefore use uh, the form of legal redress via silver-tongued friends, which, which you know, that's business. Um, and if you take a look at who owns 
the shares of Manchester United that are traded on the New York Stock Exchange. There, there are some big hitters there. You know, there are some big investment funds who uh, will have big legal departments, and they're saying we're getting a we're getting a raw deal here. Um, so, as as part of the deal, they will be able to sell their shares up to a quarter of their shares to Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Um, for thirty three dollars each, so they'll be they'll be making a, a decent profit on these. Um, so if you own four shares in Manchester United, you'll be able to sell one to Sir Jim, and whatever price you paid for it, you know, the highest price we've seen Manchester United shares is twenty seven dollars in the last eighteen months. The lowest price is just over ten and a half. So yeah, you you could be making a, a wee bit of a return there. In terms of this strange relationship. Um, I was talking to somebody senior in football earlier today who quite rightly brought up the point which which you made it there are going to be conflicts um you know what happens if the commercial department say we've just signed a new deal with a telephone company in Nigeria or a snack company in South Korea they're going to be our official partners and they want three players to go across and you know do a do an advert for it um and the coach says well you know, we've got a game in four days this is this is ludicrous um and so jim's guys say well this, this is crazy you know because you you're committing people to you know to, to 16 17 hours of traveling by plane they 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 need to be focusing on the next match and so on um, and commercial is controlled by the Glazers. Football is controlled by Sir Jim. So it could be a non-harmonious relationship between two sets of people who are used to getting their own way. Um, so we'll have to see. You know, uh, sometimes you have to make compromises, but these people are not used to making compromises. Well, yeah. A final distinction on that that last question is: as a couple of people have asked this, in terms of you know, Ratcliffe is now taking over the football side of the business. Is what we're told. Does that mean that he becomes the transfer fund essentially? That it's going to be his money that's buying players, or will the Glazers still be investing in players? Because again, if that's if that is the case, that's going to be you know, if, if the Glazers now suddenly have no say whatsoever players coming in, I shouldn't think they'd be too happy, unless, of course, they've had no interest in that in the last 10 seasons anyway. I don't really know how it works, but it seems to me that there is a huge potential there. If you've, if you've got somebody running one half of the business and somebody, and again, I keep mentioning this, that John Texter at Palace keeps saying it's the worst thing he ever did, not buying the whole <coughs> the whole club, and on, this is on a much, much, much larger scale with much heavier hitters and much bigger lawyers, I, I imagine. So you feel that the potential for future problems there is is enormous. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Who is going to set the football budget? Now, if we take a look at Manchester United historically, and I'm, I'm not a fan of the Glazers. You know, I think I've always made that fairly clear. But at the same time, what they have done is they said, this is the amount of money you've got to spend. And Manchester United have spent, since Sir Alex Ferguson retired, they've spent just under £1.9 billion. Gross. Wow. wow. So yeah, they have set competitive budgets. And then the Glazers say, director of football, the coach, the recruitment side of things, but we don't understand soccer. You know, we, we, we don't really get involved in that type of thing. You choose... Who's going to be the coach? Who's going to be uh, the player? So, yes, we have a power of ultimate veto, but but on a day-to-day basis, we're, we're going to delegate that to you. So one would assume that that budget, there must be some form of contract between Sir Jim and the Glazers that says over the course of the next three years, five years, this is the agreed budget, uh, which we base on a percentage of total revenues, player sales, and so on. So there, mu- there must be something which is trying to minimise that co- that potential creation of conflict. Could Sir Jim put more money in to top that up? Yes. Could the Glazers? Well, they could, but they won't because they never have done historically. 
Um, and then it's up to Sir Jim's team. Yeah, we've seen Dale Brailsford, Dave Brailsford there at, at the club already. Um, there are rumours doing the rounds that Manchester United are going to try to headhunt Dan Ashworth, who's uh, Newcastle United's director of football, previously at Brighton, previously with England, previously with West Brom. Um, somebody who's thought of extremely highly within the industry to sort of take over that person who is uh, identifying and and recruiting talent. So there, there must be some form of mechanism which says that you've got £200 million a year to spend. Anything more than that, Jim, that comes out of your pocket. Right. Uh, and, right okay. and that's to prevent... Uh, the Glazers saying, "Well, we don't, we don't want him," um, or you're spending too much on players. Right. Um, not a good Christmas for Wayne Rooney. Uh, Kieran sacked by Birmingham City just short of three months into a three and a half year contract. So presumably that's going to cost Birmingham's American owners a fair few quid. Well, I spoke to a. Uh, sports employment lawyer this morning <laughs> and it'll come as no surprise no surprise kevin to find out the answer was well kieran it depends um you know th- there th- there will be caveats um there has indeed been talk that that wayne rooney says look it's not worked out i don't want any money anyway um or it could be that he's so hacked off with the way that he has been treated and you know, there's a case for understanding that as well that he might his representatives might say well, hold on Wayne you know you 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 signed this contract with good faith um Gary Cook has been saying one thing and then doing another you know don't don't be Mr nice guy in respect of this um could he potentially have some form of financial settlement on the back of this Yes, certainly. Um, and that will be embedded into the contract terms. Is he likely to get all three and a half years or three, three and a quarter years remaining? I think the answer to that is no. Um, he does have an obligation to try to find alternative employment or to say, actually, I've decided that management's not for me going forwards and that there'll be an automatic limit on as to what Birmingham City are paying him. He was... According to some reports, he was he was on one and a half million pounds a year. Um, he's denied that, but yeah, that could mean he's on one point four million pounds a year for all we know, or it could be one million pounds a year plus substantial bonuses. So you always have to take these things with with a degree of caution. Um, the average length of tenure for a manager in the championship is only ten months, and if it was any other club that sat their manager, we probably wouldn't be having this discussion yeah, because there have been substantial uh, dismissals in the EFL. Clearly, he was a very high-profile acquisition in the first place when there was a lot of noise in relation to the new owners of Birmingham City and the Tom Brady links and so on. Um, Birmingham City fans were very happy with John Eustace. Um, so Wayne Rooney was, was greeted with guarded optimism and, and that's not come to fruition and we've seen this at Birmingham before yeah well, remember Gianfranco Zola yeah, came yeah. in and, and replaced somebody and, and that that relationship didn't work out either I think Gianfranco Zola is one of the few Birmingham managers with a lower win percentage than than Wayne Rooney I think the interesting one though is that people it's it's never the person themselves it's always people around them who say well he was told that this was a long-term project um, he certainly wasn't expecting to only be given 13 or 14 games, which is why I imagine uh, I don't have spidey senses the way you do, Kieran. I do if there's cheese around, not if, <laughs> not when it comes to football finances. It's why I imagine he probably will be looking at some sort of compensation if he was told that the, this is a long-term project. You know, and well, also the circumstance, as you said, they were sixth in the table. I mean, oh. they just beaten West Brom when they bought a new manager, and it seemed very strange. <laughs> This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly and I'm always jumping from project to project. 
So therefore, Notion helps me from summarizing meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. The Ratcliffe story, Kieran, and the opening of the transfer window and a never-ending succession of Premier League games meant that quite a few big stories went under the radar a little bit. And this um, FIFA football agent story is one of them, Kieran, considering how much effort it took FIFA to go to war with football agents and considering what's happened now, it all seems rather bizarre. Yes, um, I think it's fair to say that FIFA, FIFA has had a number of slaps in the face. Yeah. It, it tried to force through these rules. It tried to make football agents the, the pantomime villains of the industry. And, and my argument has always been, if, if we take a look at the, the revenues that football is generating, um, they are heading in, in, in an upward direction. Um, agents have a proportion of that and you don't have issues in terms of you know, you, you've you've worked in you know in, in various elements of the media in terms of you know five live and channel four so so you and you know horse racing and, and up even other sports you don't see golf players or uh, jockeys or cricket players complaining about their agents you don't even see footballers complaining about their agents you know and i i i teach footballers and I teach football managers and they've all got agents and they don't actually have have a grumble um it, it seems to be it's the media has an issue with it and uh Gianni Infantino is is, is a character <laughs> uh, it's fair to say um and he is of the populist uh camp when it comes to public pronouncements. So they, they decided to go after agents. Now, are there bad agents out there? Yes, there are. There are bad comedians. There are bad accountants. There are bad lecturers. There are bad people in all professions. Um, I think agents have broadly welcomed the, the fact that there are now going to be exams to, to introduce a degree of professionalism into the industry. Um, although that's not necessarily good news for those players who want to use a relative yeah, as their representative, yeah, yeah. You know, keep, keep it in the family. So, so the money's not being lost to the family to a certain extent, although it could be argued that those agents don't necessarily maximise the, the earnings potential of the player. But that's a separate issue. Um, there have been a series of lawsuits, uh, both here in the UK Germany, France, uh, I think it went to France, but it, there was there were rules in France that made it very difficult, that FIFA's attempt to put a cap on agents' fees, effectively of 3%, um, were nullified. And it was defeat after defeat after defeat for FIFA. And then this announcement came through um, that they were suspending the introduction of the rules. Um and again, for the sake of transparency, there was a lawsuit in Lausanne um, in Switzerland last year. I, I was asked to be an expert witness to look at the finances of. So I, 
I got I had to go to company's house and download the accounts for agents and I go, well actually an awful lot of agents don't make you know making diddly squat. There's some very high profile ones which have made huge sums of money, you know, and you know, the Rayola deal in relation to Paul Pogba is is one which has been uh, <laughs> you know, has been discussed at length and so on. <laughs> That's a sitcom comedy door. Oh, welcome to my. Is the is the vicar? <laughs> is the vicar at the door, <laughs> darling? It's the vicar. Oh my god, we've got nothing in. Pull your trousers on, Kieran. God, it's the vicar and his wife. <laughs> Finley's not. Finley's Finley's obviously not in then. No, Finley has been taken out for a walk by Emma. Emma is our uh, bonus dog walker. Um, she uh, uh, she gives him an, an additional stretch of the legs. Uh-huh. Uh, I take him for his early morning and his late late evening walks. And oh, okay. she, she's absolutely brilliant. So she takes him you know, across field and down dale, uh, where the places we live and so on. Um, yeah, so yeah, they, they've got a bloodied nose. They're, they're saying we're, we're not we're not getting rid of these rules. We're, we're just going back to lick our wounds and perhaps come back. But why didn't they? negotiate why didn't they collaborate with the agents to find out what the agents concerns were it was a very arrogant approach taken by fifa uh, you know and arrogance and jenny infantino they're not words you'd normally use in the same sentence of course but on this occasion i think uh, uh, i'm i'm in camp agent mm. it, 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 it will come as no surprise kieran to you or our listeners that i love a, a christmas manger scene it's always one of my favourite days of the year when you put the tree up and the decorations and you put a little couple of little Christmas measure. I can't help feeling when Gianni Infantino does it that when he puts the little baby Jesus in the manger, it's got his face. <laughs> I, I somehow feel that's how. Um, also, it also occurs to me, Kieran, that if people listening to this for the first time will think, these two have not done a pod before, have they? Because we seem to have forgotten how to do it in the two weeks that we've had off. <laughs> Just very easily distracted. Um, we don't normally deal in rumours on this pod, Kieran, but a couple of newspapers this morning have picked up on this rumour um, and substantiated mm. it. But it seems that there's another club in the Premier League who could be going down the Everton route, certainly on the Premier League naughty stair financially. Yes. Um let me just give you a little sort of a, a little bit of backstory on it. A story has been circulating on certain WhatsApp groups. Um, and as you know, I've got good relationships with quite a few people in the media these days. Um, that a club was going to be charged by the Premier League um, in respect of breach of financial fair play rules. And the speculation was that that club was going to be one of either A, Everton, who were going to be charged for last season's accounts, B, Chelsea, because the Todd Bowley 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 spendathon, uh, or C, Nottingham Forest. Um, and you know, I got the spreadsheet out. Everton, I think, will be just about okay because they sold Anthony Gordon and we've always said if you sell one of your academy players um Chelsea is an intriguing one but they've got the benefit of the eight and nine year amortization policies in their 22 23 accounts they'd sold again a couple of their their homegrown players their academy players and then when it comes to Forest when Forest were promoted from the championship th- Based on my calculations, they were in a gnat's tooth of breaching the rules, but they were just on the right side, which meant that they had a limited amount of wiggle room um, in terms of how much they could afford to spend in in the Premier League in their first season, which was, of course, season 22-23. It's been well documented that Nottingham Forest bought an awful lot of players now, that was partly due to the fact that when they were promoted, they'd actually had players who were out of contract at the end of June, and they had a few loan players as well, so they actually needed to, to boost their squad. So have they spent a lot of money? Yes, they have. What are the wages of those players? This is where you know speculation takes over. Uh, all, all types of figures are being bandied around. 
as far as the media are concerned. But they, they were certainly um, having to be quite cautious. And what we said in respect of um, the, the figures earlier, in respect of this £105 million in the Premier League you're allowed to, to lose over three years, if you've been promoted from the Championship, for every year you've been in the EFL, you're allowed... Thirteen million pounds maximum loss, and every year in the Premier League, it's thirty-five. So this this would have been Nottingham Forest's first season in the Premier League. So it'd been one thirty-five and two thirteens. So their maximum financial fair play loss is sixty-one million pounds. Um, have they exceeded it? I've got yeah, I've I've got absolutely no idea. But they were certainly up against it. So they are rumoured to uh, have asked our, our very good friend, uh, Nick DeMarco, to, to act on their behalf. But I'm not, not sure. Given that they've not been charged, then you know, how, can, how can that be the case? So um, it, it's, a, yeah, it, it's a fascinating story in terms of, of gossip and rumour and uh, you know, intrigue. Uh, you know, plenty of football to watch as, as well as the darts uh, over the course of the last week. Um, but th- this is this is the nature of the beast that we're in. Um, could it be another club? Could it be? Um, the Premier League did change its constitution that all clubs now have to submit their accounts by the 31st of December, and the Premier League, in theory, can then start to look at them straight away with a view to potentially charging them by, by mid-January and having a ruling before the end of the season, because... One of the issues that, that caused a lot of grief in respect of Everton was that Everton didn't submit their accounts until March 2023, which didn't give the Premier League enough time to, to A, look at them in enough detail, B, put together a commission. And that's why we've, we've seen things drag on. So the Premier League wants to fast track. I think that's to be applauded. Um, we want certainty and clarity and transparency from, from all um you know, I've I've looked at the the forest accounts in detail, and there's there's a couple of bits there which I think are missing, um, which which are no more than irritants for me because of the nature of the work that I do. I'm not saying that there's nothing inherently uh, incorrect with them. He he doesn't look 16, does he? That darts kid. <laughs> he doesn't. God, does he? God knows what he's going to look like. He's 26. He's going. <laughs> God, I mean, it's a fantastic story, but. I, you, you look at him and you think, somebody check his birth certificate. He's 38. That's, this is Somebody who's an agent here, there's a PR company making a big story out of this. Um, the Everton thing now means that there's a precedent. So Forest fans will be worried now because, you, you know, the only outcome of, if it is Forest and there is um, a commission and they are found guilty, the only outcome is a points deduction. There's, there's, the Premier League have left no other wiggle room for themselves, have they? Because if they don't, Everton will be straight on the phone to Nick DeMarco themselves, I imagine. Yes. So you're absolutely right. A precedent has been set. I think that that precedent is a logical one because, as we've discussed before, if if you fine a billionaire a million pounds, they don't notice it in exactly the same way as if, you know, if I get a parking fine and it costs me, it costs me a quid, I go, OK, I'll do it again. Um, so, um, it, it's only when, when you have a, a genuine, uh, sufferance by, by the recipient that, that, that it acts as a, a uh, pre- prevent yourself from doing it again and B acts as a deterrent in respect of other parties. So I think we, we do now have a, a rough idea of the process, um, and the likely outcome, should there be charges which are upheld, should there be a breach and, and they've exceeded the limit. And, and I absolutely understand the argument. Fans say, well, hold on, we've, we've suffered as a result of this and we've done nothing wrong. And indeed, the fans have done nothing wrong. The, the, the counter argument is that you have benefited from having players on the pitch which other clubs who have complied with the rules have not been able would, would not have been able to uh, afford to to play, and therefore that's given you a competitive advantage on the pitch. So, so that's sort of the to and the fro, um, and yeah, I, I'm just fed up to the back teeth of it because it's you're fed up. Imagine, imagine how the Baroness feels. Let mind you. Um, <laughs> yes. Of all the stories, Kieran, 
that went under the radar in the last couple of weeks is a domestic story that I think is one of the biggest that no one's mm. really talked about. Um, it, it involves the Premier League and their discussions with the rest of football about money. Yes. Um, the Premier League has this thing called the New Deal, yeah. which I personally think is very pretentious uh, as, as somebody who uh, admired what Franklin D. Roosevelt did uh, nearly 100 years ago to, to, to change the, the US economy. Um, and, and as part of the New Deal, the Premier League was going to substantially increase the money that it gives to clubs in the EFL. And it was also it also committed at the start of this season, or it didn't commit it, it suggested that it was going to give EFL clubs £88 million to divide between those clubs as, as sort of a, as a element of good faith. Um, and the clubs in the Premier League then started squabbling. And they said, okay, well, we've not got more money coming in because as we, yeah, we, saw, we saw the announcement of the new uh, domestic TV deal. So we've not got more money coming in. So that's, that's £88 million coming out of our pockets. And they then started arguing. And then we got to December. And by all accounts, um, at the start of December, the Premier League said to the EFL, look, none of your clubs have gone bust yet in the first few months of the season. So therefore, we're going to halve that money to £44 million. And the EFL clubs are going, well, hold on. We've, we've not gone bust. But we have borrowed money ourselves because we thought that we were getting this 88 million quid. Um, and now there's been more arguments um, at Premier League HQ in terms of we, we the Premier League, which used to be a united front, has now very much turned into, into factions. Um, I, I, got a, I had a discussion with a chief executive of an EFL club um, and he said, and I won't mention the name of the club he was referring to, he says, um, these clubs, and I, and I directly quote, self-centred scummy twats um, in, in terms of you used to be an EFL club, you're now in the Premier League, you could be back in the Premier League in a season or two, and you are just acting purely out of self-interest, you're not seeing the bigger picture. Um, you were one of the clubs that weren't happy about the gap between the Premier League and the EFL, and now, now you've changed. So, yeah, there's an element of Animal Farm in this. You know, uh, you know, four, four was it was it two legs good, four legs better? No, four legs good, two legs bad. Thought, yes, oh yeah, but then it then it changed, didn't it? As, as over time, and and that appears to be the case um, with regards to this. So yeah, I've I've had a few calls um, in respect of uh, EFL clubs who are very unhappy. The issue, as far as the Premier League is concerned, is okay. Let's let's just say it's eighty eight million pounds. You know, there's actually some more money on the table going forwards. How are you going to cut the cake? Now, Manchester United, Liverpool, the, the big six, you know, Spurs, Arsenal, and so on, they say, well, it's simple. You know, you, you, you cut you cut that additional money equally in 20 ways, um, which means that it's you know four, what, four point four million a year. Uh, the the other clubs, the the other 14 are saying, well, well hold on, you you've already got a financial advantage over us of you know three or four hundred million pounds a year. Um, so on a on a percentage basis, we the smaller clubs are having to give up far more than you are the bigger clubs. And then of course, oh and by the way, you're the guys who were you know saying 18 months ago we're gonna jump ship and join the Super League and, and Tara uh, and so on. So um there is a there is a ringleader of the other 14. I, I won't name that ringleader. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you afterwards, um, who is, is rallying the troops. Uh, he, he isn't the person who was called a self-centred scummy something or other uh, by the EFL uh, chief executive. But um, there's, there's warfare both within the Premier League and between the Premier League and the EFL, and certainly the EFL clubs and the EFL hierarchy are completely hacked off.
with this. And it's not good for football. Um, the, the gaps are just too too big. Uh, it encourages gambling. It encourages overspending. Um, it, it's ignoring one of the things which is wonderful about this country in, in the sense that we've got these this this night this 92 which which is a wonderful creation and you should look after yeah if if i win the lottery i should still care about people yeah, of course. that will that used to be my friends yeah well it's not even the 92 anymore it's 112 isn't it or however many teams yeah. are in the national league yeah. um i'm trying to use my skill and judgment and experience of 4 years on this pod to work out which championship ceo it would, who would use the expression self-centred scummy twats. Accrington aren't in the championship, so that knocks out one <laughs> one potential person. Uh, I, I've, I've got a feeling it may be the CEO of a club that I possibly pass on the train on the way from Norbury to London Bridge, but I, I'm probably going <laughs> to leave it there. You, you say, Kira, that the Premier League, there's no united front in the Premier League on this issue. So we know that... Decisions in the Premier League have to be carried by at least you know fourteen clubs have to vote. Mm. Does this mean then that fourteen clubs in the Premier League put their hands up and said we need to cut this offer of eighty eight million pound to forty four million pound? Because if so, that's incredibly disappointing and it's incredibly disingenuous to say you don't need that money because you're not going bust. When, as you say, they're not going bust because they borrowed money off the back of the fact that they're going to get this eighty eight million. Yeah, I suspect there could have been twenty clubs who said, "Actually, we'll reduce it from eighty-eight to forty-four. Now forty-four really? to zero. Really? Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's. And then there's another elephant in the room with regards to this: is there's going to be an election this year? There's uh, potentially going to be, as part of the manifesto, if, if the legislation for the new uh, football regulator is not passed by the time of the election, I would imagine it would form part of the manifesto of, of both. The major part, well, parties and some of the the other parties as well. Um, if I was the Premier League, be careful what you wish for, because you could have a government who takes a more aggressive approach to the regulator. And, and, and what we have at present, and, it, and this is it, this is horrible because it, it it is it's not just politics; it's very political. That the Premier League are lobbying against the regulator; they're trying to reduce. The powers they're trying they're trying to find uh, think tanks stroke shadily funded organizations to to act on their behalf to try to make out that it's going to be a government controlled game and and that's not going to be the case yet to be honest the regulator wants to be as light, light touch as possible doesn't really want to get involved um, but the main issue that the Premier League has is that the uh the the division the distribution of tv monies could be allocated to the regulator's decision um and i think what they tried to do with the new deal is they're saying here's here's some money um would you mind dropping your um enthusiasm for the regulator as part of this deal. And then we'll be able to say, well, you know, look, we in the Premier League, we're opposed to the regulator. The EFL, we've given them a few, you know, we've given them a few crumbs, uh, which no doubt could be reversed in due course, of course. Um, and then you've got the FA, and you know, it's it's a glib thing to say, the FA has done FA. The FA has not got involved. It's supposed to be for all. It's supposed to be the, the governing body, which is the benign dictator and uh, uh, in respect of football. And it just has washed its hands of what's happening in as far as the professional game is concerned. And I don't think it reflects particularly well on them either. Um, but the regulator could come in and say, look, you've not managed to get an agreement. Right, this is what we're going to do. And and if it does, the Premier League ain't going ain't to like what it is. Yeah, Prince William. So it's, 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 it's playing a gap very, yeah. you know, we're playing liar's poker here. Prince William, or, or as we would call it, poker, Kieran, basically, yeah. Um, Prince William needs to uh, sort his act out, doesn't he? It's, not, it's, all, it's all very well getting to see the FA Cup final for nothing every year, but he needs to pull his finger out and head the FA up in a more effective fashion. We interviewed um, Pat Nevin recently, 
Kieran. Mm. Uh, God knows when, because it was in the middle of Panto, Christmas party, <laughs> Palace Brighton. So there was a lot of alcohol going. Palace Brighton wasn't the best game in the world either, was it? But um, no, uh, it's good. It's good. The, the time in the Porsons before the match yeah, was, was more enjoyable than the match. It, it was indeed, yeah. And also the sound of uh, twenty-three thousand Palace fans at halftime saying, "The one thing we shouldn't do in the second half is just sit back." For 45 minutes and invited Brighton. Oh, okay, that's exactly what we're doing. But we interviewed Pat Nevin. It's an interview that went down very well, Kieran, as an interview that was full of insight. But during that interview, we spoke about his time as chair of the PFA back in the, the mid 90s and how the PFA has changed now. Uh, but the PFA are, I, I think, quite rightly working themselves up about something, and there's a possibility of legal action that the PFA are about to take over, I think, a very obvious, serious issue. Yes. um, We had the announcement of a new Super League uh, before Christmas, and the number of group games um, is going to go from, if if this comes to fruition, of which I still think it's a very remote chance, would go from 6 to 14. And on top of that, you've got an expanded World Cup, you've got the Nations League, you've got the expanded... Club World Cup, um, there are extra demands being put upon footballers at the top level. And the critics will say, well, they're earning a lot of money. And the players will say, we're not denying that we're earning a lot of money, but we are elite athletes. Um, and, yeah, and you and I, we both say, yeah, we, 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 we play 40 or 50 games a season, 60 games a season, but we play park football and... You know, you don't, you don't get you didn't get the same bolt to do sixty or seventy uh, hundred meter uh, you know runs a season because it's not in the best interest. If you take a look at racehorses, the best racehorses they only run a few times each season because you, you want them to be in peak condition. Um, I, I listened to a talk from uh, Maheta, who's who's head of the PFA, um, uh, recently, and he says, "Let's just go back to the Champions League final of twenty twenty three. Um, Manchester City won it, but let's be honest, it was a crap game. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Haaland wasn't at the races. Kevin De Bruyne had to go off injured. If you want to see the best players in the world playing the best football, don't don't just try to to, to use them, you know, as as pack horses and 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 knacker them. Um, yes, I understand it from from a financial point of view is that more matches equals more money, but they're killing the golden goose. You know, who who are if, if the football if the standard of football starts to drop, then then the ratings will start to drop and so on. Um, there, there is there is too much football, and this is where the the PFA is saying we've got to look after the best interests of our owners. Um, Newcastle are struggling to put out a team. You know, in terms of Brighton, we've had 10 injuries um, recently. Manchester United, lots of players injured. And, and you're seeing it being mentioned more and more. And nobody's saying, is, is, there a, is there perhaps a reason for this? Because players don't set out to get injured. They're soft tissue injuries. So it's, you know, it's calf, it's, it's hamstring. It's, it's all of the, the things which you do when, when, when you're overworked as an athlete. Mm. So we'll see. I I don't know what level of Sunday football you played, Kieran, to be playing sixty games a year, unless you your accountants league had a European Championships accountants league. Fifteen games a season was enough for us. If the PFA, then Kieran, if they're yeah you know, they're talking about the possibility of legal action over the increasing number of matches, but who do they take the legal action against? Is it the broadcasters? Is it FIFA for adding new tournaments? Is it the clubs themselves? How, I, I've I've struggled to understand a little bit how. What, what their approach would be and, and who they would actually sue to try and get fewer matches played. Because obviously, it, there has to be the 38 league matches. There'll be as many League Cup and FA Cup matches as, as hopefully your club will, will will play. Beyond that, it's it seems to be the extra tournaments that they're... But, but yeah, you want your club to be in the Champions League. You want Brighton to be in whatever, oh, yeah. whatever it is. So, But that comes with... With extra games, doesn't it? So, um, you know, then, then there's the whole thing, you know, the, the, the more substitutions were brought into others. While I applaud the PFA's um, approach and while I absolutely 100% agree with it, I'm just a little bit confused as to who they would be taking this action against. Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. 
if you got a plaintiff, you got to have a defendant. Could that be FIFA in terms of they are the ultimate responsibility of the game? And this isn't just coming from the Professional Footballers Association. I think if you if you if you listen to FIFA Pro, who are the the, the global players representative, the global players union, they have also voiced similar concerns. So it would be against the the, the ultimate governing bodies to say you've approved of these competitions. Um, we as members, we we will have to take some form of sanction. So, you know, what happens if the players agent, the players unions globally say, um, yeah, well, good good luck with the FIFA Club World Cup. Um, our members have decided that we we're not going to participate. Mm. Uh, we st- so, I think it will be sort of withdrawn of labour. Yeah, we still have um, four stories left. Uh, so much for guys. We'll just ease our way back into the new year. With a nice calm pod, uh, there's sort of two news stories and two account stories. So perhaps it's already been quite a long pod, so we can yeah, maybe not spend as much through. time on this as not, not rattle through, Kieran, because that would be unprofessional. But you know, yeah. um, the the first one looks like it might be good news for Southend. Yes, um, Southend have been subject to a, a transfer embargo from the National League as as a result of um, financial shenanigans and misdemeanours. Um, under the the current still owner, but almost gone, Ron Martin. Um, that has been lifted. Um, South End's crowds of, you know, the, the the level of support for the team has been magnificent, considering that they're in the the fifth tier of English football. Um, so they do now have flexibility um, and and fair play to to everybody at the club. Um, uh, you know, I've had a, a few Zoom calls. Uh, the, the local journalist Chris Phillips has done a magnificent job in, in highlighting what's going on, and it makes their job harder uh, because yeah, there's always the threat you'll be denied access to this, that, and the other. But uh, there have been some fantastic people highlighting the issue at the club. So the transfer embargo is being lifted. We're now in January. They they will be looking to to push on. National League's really tough this year because the National League's really tough every year these days because so many clubs are, are professional. Will Ron Martin have done anything specific that's led to the lifting of the transfer embargo? I, I think in terms of players being paid on time, HMRC being paid on time, um, because that can now be evidenced that the, the National League has said, well, you, you've shown an improvement in terms of your, your operational behaviour. We're fully aware of the new owner's putting in financial commitments as well. So we're prepared to lift the, the embargo. So basically all the stuff that Ron Martin should have been doing from the start, none of this would have happened if he'd done that then. Okay. You would have thought, Kieran, MPs would yeah. be, um, you'd have thought MPs would have enough on their plate at the moment, what with um, another four weeks before they go back to work after their, their well-earned Christmas break. Um, <laughs> but this is rather specific football-related law that they are debating or calling for. Yes. Um, now, again, I, I take this story with a pinch of salt, given uh, where it where it was read. Daily, but, the Daily Mail. Um, it could be. <laughs> um, MP, it says MPs are calling for a specific law to punish people who enter football stadiums without tickets. Um, so uh, Prince William, <laughs> the one, he, he just. Which I don't think that's worth what they had in mind. No. Um, but um, so, so this is sort of on the back of what we saw at the European Championships, um, where a number of people acted like idiots. Um, there's not many people that get into grounds without tickets these days, and there are specific laws which which address this. Um, so. Yeah, I, I I put my reservations up on social media with regards to this. If you've got existing legislation, why are you creating new legislation? It's because it, it's an easy win. You'll get a, you'll get the plaudits um, from some of the newspapers and from those people. Uh, and there are a lot of people in society today who are genuinely scared of all of the boogeymen um, that uh, that the media portray, whether that's 
on their basis of their race, of their religion, of their sexuality, or the fact that they are football fans. For football fans, read football hooligans. Um, there, there is misbehaviour at the races because if you know, I, I've been I've been to Chester races on a Saturday because the the Baroness's brother owns a few horses. Um, it gets lively. Um, we, we've seen uh, evidence at Goodwood and Aintree and other racehorses, but that, that yeah, there's no there's no suggestion of that. Um, rug, rugby fans, uh, both Union and League, they, they enjoy the occasional uh, drink at, at a match, and that can result in uh, misbehaviour and so on. And yet, it is the football fans who are targeted. Any football fan who misbehaves, throw the book at them. You know, banning orders are available. Take away their season tickets if if they if they if they've broken the rules, then then punish them accordingly. Um, so so why is this being done? Um, if if everything was was rosy in the garden, in relation to the the broader structural issues of this country, I'd say yeah, go ahead because you've you've solved education, you've you've dealt with the issues of the health service, you've dealt with uh, problems in respect of transfer, sorry, in transport, defence, policing, um, social care. Fantastic job, well done. Now go and have a go at some goons who are turning up to football matches, no tickets. Why are you prioritising this above these issues? I don't know. Yeah, and you know the race course where I've seen the worst trouble, Kieran Ascot. At the end of Royal Ascot, I covered it for Five Live four years running, uh, and the second two years, both times uh, coming out, and I know I had the top hat and tails on. Well, I had occasion to say to a policeman, "Are you happy with that that behaviour? The way those people are behaving there, the public urination and the fighting." And the policeman went, "No one's complained." I said, I'm complaining. And it gave me the severe impression that if I carried on complaining, I'd be the one that got arrested. It's carnage at the end of Royal Ascot. But apparently that's just high spirits. Yeah. That's just that's just high spirits. So um two letting off steam. Letting off steam, exactly. This is hard work in that bank two days a, a week earning those enormous bonuses. So they're entitled to let off steam. Uh, West Ham's latest accounts are out, Kieran, and there's um uh, an unusual and I don't know if it's worrying, but there's a, it's a fairly big anomaly in there. Yeah, I mean, West Ham fantastic season last year. They, uh, yeah, they, they 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 won the Europa Conference, memorable campaign. Not such a good season in the Premier League. It wasn't, wasn't a disaster. Um, they, you would have thought, well, if they if they won a cup, they they must have made some money. They, they actually lost money. They lost eighteen million pounds. Despite having the benefit of only paying three and a half million pounds a year in rent for that for the stadium, which holds sixty sixty thousand, it's going up to sixty eight thousand. Um, and I was on a West Ham podcast, and they're saying, you know, have they have they have they invested in players? Well, yeah, West Ham bought players for around about one hundred and eighty million quid in twenty two twenty three, which is which is a significant investment. Um, and I'm going, well, blimey, that's that's. Uh, that's not like David Sullivan to, uh, you know, open the wallet widely, and mainly because he's not, um, because they've they've used the club credit card, and as a result of that, um, they owe one hundred and seventy one million pounds in outstanding transfer fees to other clubs, which which is fine. That's the way that football operates these days. Um, but I, I'm genuinely concerned that. We're going to have, and we use this as an analogy, we're going to have a, a, a position similar to we had in the world of uh, traditional finance in 2007, 2008, where there was an awful lot of debt being transferred from bank to bank to bank to bank in, in a glorified game of um, you know, Ring of Roses. And it only takes one person to to fall down when you've then got a domino effect. Um, so, you know, West Ham generate money. They they've repo, they yeah they've sold Declan Rice. So it's, it's not West Ham are not going to be the problem. But I think this is indicative of a much broader issue as far as football is concerned, in relation to clubs are using credit as a means of uh, funding their transfer activity, and credit's not the best way of doing things 
if uh, if things start to turn tough. Uh, there's no indication that, that will be the case in the Premier League because it's still ridiculously popular. But international markets, a bit more of a concern. And Bristol City, finally, Kieran, have published their latest figures. I presume there's something of significance in there, otherwise we wouldn't mention it? Um, yeah. Um, Bristol City. Yeah, Bristol as, as, as a city, fantastic. Brilliant place. You know, yeah. History, heritage, it, it's a glorious, uh, glorious place. Um, they've, not, they've not been mentioned as sort of promotion favourites or they've not troubled the scorers in terms of getting into the playoffs recently. Their owner has been sticking in 400 grand a week to, to cover the losses over the course of, sort of the last of the six or seven years. And this goes back to, to what we were saying earlier in relation to the Premier League and the EFL. Um, clubs are either having to borrow money or they're reliant on uh, the benevolence of owners. And I think, I think it's Steve Lansdowne is the, the, the guy in charge. He's, he's been a huge benefactor to both Bristol City as a football club and Bristol Rugby. But how long can this continue before these people eventually say, why, why am I doing this? Um, you know, the, the average losses in the championship are 470 grand a week. Uh, and it's, it's, only, it's only sustainable if you've got people willing to cover those losses, if their personal circumstances change or if they go, I don't need this anymore. I, I think we could have a, a, a huge challenge in the game. Uh, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution as well, that'd be very kind of you. And it gets you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash price of football. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of And if you'd like to buy our book or one of our other books, get us or you get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt, you can find details on our website, which is priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Monday with our regular questions pod. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for the first time in 2024 for his customary farewell. Thank you, everybody that's been in contact uh, via social media and email and WhatsApp over the past few days. Uh, uh, we are, we're genuinely touched by by your degree of enthusiasm uh, <laughs> that we that we put on shows over christmas when we quite blatantly were not here um, but uh, but you know we, we we appreciate that it helped you doing the sprouts uh and, and grand um and also to everybody that turned up at the christmas quiz uh, yep, lovely. your book is on is on route i'm taking it to the post office this afternoon um there's various ways you can support the show one of which is to give the show a review or the book a review doesn't matter what you'd say. Um, you could either say, you could even say you would rather have the show presented by the boy wonder Wayne Rooney and the boy wonder Luke Littler, the darts player. <laughs> and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to us. Uh, good luck to, to all uh, wherever you are and happy new year. Yeah, One of those people is going to be in a better mood than the other just at the moment, aren't they, to be honest? Yes, they are. Bye, everybody. Yes. Happy new year. Bye-bye, son. The price of football.